I don't know about you, but when we were singing those songs, I was getting chills down my spine. It was so exciting, so uplifting, and so appropriate to today's lesson. Um, this is the last sermon in the Nature of the Church series, and I really enjoyed I think we've all enjoyed the various speakers that we've had <clears throat> who preached and brought us insights from God's Word. To me, it's been thrilling. Jason started us out the first two weeks with the Old Testament perspective of the church. Then Darren showed us the identity of the church. Rod spoke on the recovery of love through church discipline. And Mike Cap talked about the communion of the unity of the church. Then I spoke on the gifts of the church. Phil Brown spoke on the holy nation and priesthood of the church. I spoke last week on the submissiveness of the church through love and respect. And let me just say say this. I've been getting text messages all week long with nothing but honk on it. <laughs> so from, I mean, and I know the other guys are getting them too because, and I even sent out a few myself, but that was really neat. <clears throat> this week we're going to wrap up with the triumph of the church, the bride. As we read Revelation uh, 1, 1 through 14, in verse 1, we said, see a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth have passed away. Now, the Greek word here for passed away is apokomahi. And it really means to go away. Erkomahi means to go. And a lot of times when you are come, it means either one. And a lot of times when you see references in the Bible to the second coming of Christ, it uses the word erkomahi, coming from there to here. But up or apo means away, go away. <laughs> and it's not a command. It means that the earth and the heaven have gone. Now, you're going to see in a minute that this is interesting the way it's described here, but we'll hold on to that for a minute. It says there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And that means we need to look at the Greek here for the word new. It's the Greek word hyenas, and it means a new form, a regenerated form, as it were. So the entire universe, including the earth, will be regenerated into an eternal place. And we will dwell in the new earth and behold the new heavens. It is not this earth because this earth is just corrupt. With sin. It has been cursed since Adam's day. Since he sinned. In fact, it needs to be rid of all sin and all unregenerate sinners in order to be regenerated into what God wants it to be. I'm going to look at a couple of scriptures. You can write them down or turn there if you wish, but I'm going to kind of, we got a lot of notes here today, so it might be good just to write them down, look them up later. 1 John 3, verses 1 and 2. <clears throat> See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are the children of God. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears... We will be like him because we shall see him as he is. 
Now, this is the blessed hope, that final event of conforming us into the image of Christ. That's the final blessed hope. The fact that we'll be in heaven is absolutely wonderful, but if God weren't there, it wouldn't be heaven. Then in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 54, he says this, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, and that means die. <clears throat> but we all will be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. So, Back in, in, in 23 here, chapter uh, Revelation 23, or 21, excuse me, John sees New Jerusalem coming down from heaven, prepared like a bride, he says, adorned for her husband. Wait, I thought the church was the bride of Christ. But this says New Jerusalem. I want to show you something in Galatians chapter 4, verse 24. It would be good for you to write this down or look it up with me. Galatians 4, 24. Paul is discussing Hagar and, and Sarah and the situation they were in. And he says this could be, in verse 24, interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. That's Hagar. Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the Jerusalem that now is because she is in slavery with her children. Why? Because they don't believe in Christ. Do you know there's no promise in the Bible? that God would ever bring his people back to the land in unbelief? Think about that. Are they believers? No. Every nation that's established is established by God. So we need to stop looking at Israel because Jesus Christ and the testimony of him is a spirit of prophecy, not Israel. It may be something that God's doing. It may not. But until they're believers in Jesus Christ, they're not his people. They're in slavery, he says. But then look what he says in verse 46. But Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, one that does not bear, and break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. The church, New Jerusalem, the bride of Christ, that's us. Those of us who have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and have repented and follow Him and, and endure to the end, as it were, through faith, that is the bride. God's wisdom, not ours, he ordained that we should be a part of all things new. <laughs> and so 
We'll see later how these two things are combined. But the nature, let's take a look at the nature. We've talked about the nature of church. Let's look at the nature of New Jerusalem. Some of the aspects that that reveal the nature of this New Jerusalem, the description. First in Revelation 21.3, he says that it's God's dwelling place will be with man. Now, he will... We will be his people, and he will be our God. Now, this dwelling is not the same thing as the Holy Spirit dwelling in us now because we really can't see him. It's a literal dwelling with, of God with men on earth, on the new earth, even like he did with the garden in the garden where he had fellowship with Adam before he sinned, but better, <laughs> much better. Why? Adam was a creation. And yes, we're new creations, but we're born of God. Isn't that neat? We've got more than Adam. Then look at the gentle pity of the Father in verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Because that's all this earth has to offer. Just tears. Death shall be no more. Nor mourning. Nor crying. Nor pain or suffering. Because all that passes away. And all that passes away with the, with the old earth. <laughs> That's going to be exciting. Now we see in verse 5, God says he's making all things new. And you can depend on it because look what he told John there. He told John, write these things down because they are trustworthy and true. Now how do we know all this stuff's going to happen? Well, God told him to write it down because it's true. (laughs) So that's why we know. He don't lie. He concludes in verse 6 with this. It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And then he says, I give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life without payment. Now, this is a continuation of what Jesus said about those who believe in him. Listen to John seven thirty-eight and 39. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Now, this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Do you see this? It's a gift. It can't be paid for by your good works, by anything you do. It's a gift. No payment's necessary because the payment has all been made, and Jesus made it on the cross. I'm so glad. I'd like to... I like to lay my head down on the pillow at night knowing. And by the way, I heard Alistair Begg say, the knowledge that you're going to be with the Lord doesn't necessarily take away the anxiety of death, but it gives you the assurance of life. When you really think it through, there's nothing to be afraid of. He says... The one who conquers or overcomes, this will be his heritage. I will be his God. He will be my son. How do we we conquer? Well, 1 John 5, 4 and 5 says this. Everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. 
Who is he that overcomes the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Revelation 21.7, then, is referring to those who have trusted implicitly in the Christ, the Son of God, in his finished work, in his resurrection, in his lordship. <laughs> That's what faith is. It's not the mere acknowledgement of a historical Jesus. Because that kind of faith will not save you. But for those who do believe, you can be sure of your place there. Listen to 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept or reserved in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, it's being reserved for those who have trusted Christ and will be yours when the holy city descends. This, my friends, is the victory of the church. No more opponents, no more death, no more mourning, no more pain, no more tears. This is the victory of the church. And it's reserved for you if you belong to Christ. Now, unfortunately, I've got to stop and talk about verse 8. Because verse 8 tells us who's not going to be there. Listen to what he says. But the cowardly, those who are afraid to trust in Christ or stand for Christ, the faithless, those who refuse to believe in Jesus. The detestable, those who are perverts of justice and morality. The sexually immoral, those who refuse to honor God's order of marriage of one man and one woman. Sorcerers, those who practice divination, witchcraft, and false teachings. All liars. <laughs> kind of encompass everything, doesn't it? Say, whoa, wait, 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 I think I fall into this category here. You might, <laughs> but you got to remember when he says all liars, he's really kind of talking about those who lie to accomplish their own agenda or their own success, especially false prophets, false teachers. Those are the chief liars. So where do they go? I mean, we're going to the holy city. Where do they go? It says this, their, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. This is the second death. Like I said to you last week and repeated something I heard before, born twice, die once. Born once only, die twice. Remember, Peter said we've been born again to a living hope. Now, I want to back up for a minute to chapter 20, starting in verse 11. I'd like you all to turn there with me if you would. Because... I just want to say this. Not my notes, but I want to say it. Regardless of the difficulty that you have in believing in Jesus Christ and making Him your life, seeing Him as your life, not just your Lord, but your life, you can 
argue about it. You can dismiss it. You can do all that stuff. But on this day that I'm getting ready to read about, there's no place to run. There's no place to hide. It's going to be a very stark, with your mouth shut, revelation to you, listening to the Lord God. Revelation 20:11 Then I saw a great white throne and he who sat was on it or him who was seated on it from his presence the earth and the sky that means the heavens fled away and no place was found for them then I saw the dead great and small standing before this throne and books were opened and then another book was opened which is the book of life And all the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And they were all judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he too was thrown in the lake of fire. You see, there was no place to run. The earth's gone. You're standing before this great white throne. No place to hide. This is coming. They're all standing before the throne, and books were open. What books? Well, the books are the recording of your works. And by the way, Christian, you're going to have some of those books open for you too. You're not going to be condemned for your sin because Christ paid it all. But you'll either gain or lose rewards based on the motive and the method and the dependence on God that you did when you worked those works. Another book was open, the book of life. The Lamb's book. And while this is all going on, the sea gave up their dead, the death and Hades gave up. Hades means place of the dead. Gave up their dead and they were all judged by what was written in the books. And I'm just going to stop and say this. If you honestly think you can stand before God without Christ and your good works outweigh your bad works and that be the basis for which Christ is going to let you in, there's another statement there. Any person whose name was not written in the Lamb's book of life. Good works, bad works, it doesn't make any difference. Any person whose name is not written in the Lamb's book of life was cast into The lake of fire, which is the second death. This is the end of those who reject Christ and try to do things on their own. And listen, God has opened these books and making an honest assessment of your works. But guess what? They have to be perfect in order for your works to be the basis for you to enter. And we all know, if we've been around this church very long, (laughs) we're saved by grace through faith alone, not by works, lest anyone should boast. So this is the way the grace of God works. Now, I have a question for you. Is your name in the Lamb's book of life? 
Are you sure? Or are you faking that you're saved? Or maybe just doubting that you're saved. That's something you need to get taken care of. But today is the day, this is the last time we're going to preach the nature of the church, but today is the day you need to be sure. And you know what? God, in His wonderful love and refusing to spare His Son for you, has His arms wide open. And you know what? If you're sitting there trembling in your seat, you should be. This is real. This is the Holy Spirit drawing you to the refuge available to you in Christ. It may seem terrifying to to read these things. It's terrifying for me. For two reasons. One, I just stop and examine myself. And two, I care for all of you. God doesn't want you to be in that lake of fire. I don't want you to be there. Every other believer in this room doesn't want you to be there if you're going there, and I hope you're not going there. But you know what? you got to be sure. The Bible says, make your calling and election sure. It's not something you want to fiddle around with or trifle with God about. It comes such a relief when you come to him in full faith and repentance. He doesn't want you there in the lake of fire. He sent Jesus to die for you while you were ungodly. This is his idea, by the way, not ours. It's not the church's idea. It's not something we preach because it's a good idea. This is his idea. He just I'm just a voice. That's all I am, just a pile of dust telling you, One beggar worked to tell another beggar where to find bread. That's all I am. And that's all any of you are when you go out and share the gospel. I realize I'm doing a gospel invitation right in the middle of my sermon, but it's really not in the middle, it's toward the end. But I'm going to stop right now and pray for you, every person in this room. If you want to take that time right now as I pray to yourself, cry out to Jesus Christ. Tell him, Lord, I thought I was saved. I've been faking it. I know I'm not. I just go to church to be religious. Whatever reason you have, cry out to him and say, Lord, I want you to be my all. I didn't know you loved me that much. I didn't know you loved me that much. How could I turn you away? As I pray, you pray. And those of you who know that you are, your name is the Land Book Light, you pray for everybody in this room and everybody who's coming to second service because this is serious stuff. I'm not some life insurance salesman telling you you could die tomorrow, you better this life, buy this life policy today. I'm telling you you could die today and be facing God in a few minutes. You better be sure. Now, I'm not trying to make anybody here doubt their salvation if you're really saved. But I do want you to take this seriously. Because even though this is the triumph of the bride of Christ, this is also the biggest warning in the Bible. You won't find it more serious than this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for 
Your grace, Lord, that caused you in love we don't even understand. While we're still ungodly, coming to just as we are, filthy, dirty, sinful, and wicked, and seeing our Savior bear the agony of our lake of fire and crying out as you have cried out to us here, it's finished. And the blessed relief we get when we come and just give up trying to do it ourselves and give up trying to be good and give up everything and just say, Lord, I'm here. Accept me as I am, please. I'm only trusting in the blood of Jesus Christ in my place, Him in my place. And I beg you, Lord, descend into my heart, Lord Jesus, and become and create in me that new person that I cannot do myself. I pray this in Jesus' name. If you cried out to the Lord for salvation today, when we do our invitation, you don't have to come down here to get saved. Just come down here and declare your faith. Okay. Let's look at a continuing description of New Jerusalem. John's carried away to a high mountain, and he sees... The city. And he said it had the glory of God. It actually radiated like a jewel. He said like a, a jasper or crystal. Just clear as crystal. It just radiated. I'm sure he was just absolutely awed. And it had a high wall and 12 gates and 12 angels. Each gate had the name of one of the 12 tribes on it. And there are three gates on each side. And it also says each gate was a solid pearl. There are 12 foundations, and on the foundations are written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Wait a minute. Hold it. I thought the apostles are part of the church. How come they're involved? How, how come Israel and the apostles are in that? How, how can that be? Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 19:27 to Peter. Peter, as usual, is trying to take a little bit of self-glory, and he says... See, we have left everything and followed you. What we're gonna? What are we gonna have? <laughs> Jesus was very gracious to him, and he said, "Truly, I say to you, in the in the regeneration or in the new world, when the Son of Man sits on His glorious throne, you have followed me. Will sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. You see from this the church and Israel." are the same. They're not different. I had somebody tell me, well, the apostles are part of the church, but not of Israel. So how do you explain this? That they're going to judge the 12 tribes of Israel. Because they're all one. There's no separation. Now, as we go on in this description, we find out there's no temple there. Because the Lord is the temple and the Lamb. No need of a sun or moon. Because God's glory gives it light. And the lamp is the lamb. The nations and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Now, who is that? I mean, if everybody's been judged and kicked out and they're not, and it's just us, who are these nations and kings? It's us. You know, he says that there's, 
the gates are always open. It says they stay open all day, but then there's no night, so that must be all day. <laughs> uh, the nations will bring their glory and honor into it. This is us, folks. Revelation 7, 9 and 10 says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude, no one could number, from every nation, from every tribe, from every people, and every language, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand, crying out, Salvation belongs to the Lord our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. In this new earth, we will be what God wants us to be. Kings and queens. Well, kings because we're supposed to be neuter general, I think. uh, What's the word I'm looking for? General neutral. Neuter general. Yes, sir. Okay. This is the ultimate victory of the church, of Jesus Christ. And if you've truly trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you need not worry that God will bring you safely there. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians 2.14. Thanks be to God who always leads us in his triumph in Christ Jesus and spreads through us the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. You see, he always leads us in his triumph. This is the triumph of the church, but whose triumph is it really? It's his. It's his triumph. And you'll see that he always does that. Last verse of that chapter, the last final warning. Revelation twenty-one twenty-seven. But nothing unclean will ever enter this city, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. Only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Nothing and no one unclean will ever enter heaven, ever enter this new city. Nor the detestable or the false, the liars, you called them before. Only those written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, this is in my notes, but remember John 14. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And I, if I go and prepare, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Well, what's it look like? We just saw it. <laughs> are you excited? Which person are you today? Are you the person who has bowed your knee to the Son of God and said, you are everything to me now. My, I have no other life but yours. Are you still living in your detestable religiosity? Your detestable sins. Oh, I know we're all sinners. And we continue to be sinners. But the blood of Christ covers those. Once you trust Christ, your name is embedded in the Lamb's book of life. Isn't that good? Don't don't play with this. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. It's your word alone that we have to grasp 
the promises that you've made for those of us who have trusted Christ. And Lord, even though we claim and cry out and with good intentions even, say, Lord, I want you to be my life. We know that each and every one of us in this room are failing every day in some way or another. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you for the justification that we have received through him. Thank you for the love you pour out in our hearts. And that while we were helpless, Christ died for us. While we were ungodly, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even while we were enemies, Christ died for us. That right there is reason enough to serve him all the rest of our days. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen.